Welcome to the Plebeian Power Hour with your hosts, Kim and Tiffer. Today we're going to be talking about the Cold War, but before we really get into it, we need to put a disclaimer out there that we're going to be giving you kind of an overview of the entire Cold War, and we won't be able to get into a lot of specifics in some very big topics. Uh, but we want to focus on what we can fit in this amount of time. So we'll be talking about you know 40 years of events, and some of them deserve their own uh, podcast. <laughs> so we'll we'll do the best that we can, and we might have to jump around time-wise as well. But uh, why don't you go ahead and get us started? Well, to start is absolutely exhausting. Because in order to dig the beginning of the Cold War, you actually have to go past World War II to World War One. World War One is happening. Germany's mad at... Um, the Soviet Union being involved. So they get Lenin from the middle of Europe, put him over into the already upset Russia, and he eventually overthrows the Russian government and gets himself put in. Well, Lenin is a communist, and he turns Russia, or the Soviet Union, into a communist state. So you have to go all the way back there to know that Lenin changed this and after he died Stalin was put in so now you've got World War One, which Russia slash Soviet Union is an ally then you've got World War Two, where Russia slash Soviet Union is an ally and this was one of those situations where it was the enemy of my enemy is my friend situation where um, the United States was giving aid and money to the Soviet Union for a long time for their side. And then when they started fighting, it was like the big three. It was the United Kingdom, the United States, and the Soviet Union. They were just, I don't want to say pals, but they were the allies, right? They were yeah. fighting against the Axis. And then um, they had a series of conferences that happened towards the end of World War II, where Stalin, Truman, and Churchill um, got together at the Tehran Conference, November 28th through December 1st of 1943. And actually, it's not Truman at this time. It's still, it's still FDR. Yeah. And they met, they discussed military strategy at the time, and then they have a second conference in 1945 called the Yalta Conference. And this was a big deal because this is actually just a few weeks before VE Day, so the victory in Europe. So whether or not they knew that was coming, they I'm did. sure they So suspected. they knew it was coming. It, <laughs> Germany was effectively defeated, but not officially Not officially. Defeated. They hadn't declared themselves defeated, which they did on VE Day. But they were discussing... Um, about how they're going to govern post-war Europe. Yeah, so it, it really is kind of interesting because they get into discussions of what, you know, what are we going to do once we defeat Germany? And they kind of come to some decisions on what to do. And one of the things at the time was there was still the war going against Japan. Japan was far from decided. Yeah, that still, that didn't end until September. And, and so the U.S. was negotiating with the USSR and made a lot of concessions to them in 
hopes, and, and not just hopes, but the plan was that the USSR would join in the fight against Japan. And mm -hmm. it turns out that that wasn't really necessary because after the U.S. The dropped bombs. the bombs, they didn't need that. But this was well before that when the outcome against Japan was far from decided. So they made a lot of concessions to the USSR in order to get their assistance uh, against Japan. So they're discussing what to do in Europe, and in a way they're kind of like divvying it up and saying, you know, this is what's going to happen. But one of the big things that came out of the Yalta conference is there was a decision made that the the Soviets would allow the the surrounding countries, the kind of almost like satellite countries, to have free elections. And this is a critical part. This is a critical piece of why the Cold War became the Cold War. So they had promised, the Soviet Union promised at the Yalta Conference that they would allow these countries to have free fair elections, which is a democratic, I mean a democracy. Yeah. But that will play in later. Yeah, so that, that was the decision is that during the Yalta Conference they said, hey, these countries that essentially Eastern Europe, once they're kind of freed from you know, German occupation, we'll, we'll let them decide their own future by having these elections. And the USSR agreed to that, and that was part of the agreement in that conference. So that, that then they move on, they have another conference called the Potsdam Conference. The Potsdam Conference, and this is in July 1945, because the USA has sent Truman this time, Stalin, and Churchill, who's replaced about halfway through with a newly elected British Prime Minister. Yeah, so what they decided at the Potsdam Conference is what they're going to do with Germany, and they also changed Poland's border. So Poland essentially moves 100 miles to the west. Russia, or the USSR, takes 100 miles worth of you know territory and then gives Poland 100 miles of Germany's territory. And then they're breaking Germany up into, essentially they broke it up into four territories. They had the um, ally powers, U.S., U.K., and France each got a portion, and then the USSR got a portion. So the so USSR did they have the whole country? Yeah. Yeah, whole, it was split into four. It was split into so four. I always thought it was two. Well, essentially it turned out to be two because yeah. the allies didn't have any interest in really keeping the territory. What they were essentially doing was... Just keeping peace. Keeping the peace. Because we're going to, you know, part of the things that they had discussed is we're going to demilitarize people, you know, that we're, so that they're not making tanks and doing whatever, and they can't just start another fight. Yeah. So they were in there essentially occupying the territory. Well, originally, this was, this was supposed to be divided between the allies, and they were all supposed to be on the same side. And so dividing it up into the four was supposed to be between the four allies. Yeah. And so it's interesting, and pay attention to this part, because this sort of takes a gigantic turn later as well. Because the Soviet Union has the east side of Germany, which connects to the area in which it's kind of got a lot of control over in that direction. Um, and then the other allies who stayed together ended up on the west side but they they also divvied up berlin yeah so and berlin was the capital and it was very large and the allies didn't want to just give that to the ussr so they also mm -hmm. said we're taking our portion of berlin and essentially yes. took 
half of Berlin was under ally control. Well, they divvied that up into four sections. Yeah. And the four sections kind of corresponded with the fact that the East Berlin was over towards East Germany and, yeah. and towards USSR. And then the other three kind of take up about the same amount of space when you look at it on a map. And they're split between France, Great Britain, and America. And it's kind of interesting as you go on from this point because the Soviet Union was so affected by war. And when you go back in the numbers, it is astonishing. And this is more of a World War II subject. But Russia lost 24 million people. Whether it was troops, there was about 8 to 10 million troops, but the rest were civilians. And they lost 24 million people. And I did a little math on this just really fast to help you understand why they're so freaked out, which leads to why they are so upset and and do the following things. So the Russian estimates suggest that the total population of the Soviet Union in 1941 was 195.4 million. And it fell to 170 million in 1946 due to the devastation of the war. And if you look at the United States, the census in 1930 had 122 million people. And in 1940, they had 132 million people. That means in 10 years, they only gained 10 million people. And then if you look in by the 1950s, which is when this whole baby boom happens, right? You have the baby boom, and they get up to 151 million. It took America 10 years to grow their population by 19 million, and that was the baby boom. So you have two decades almost worth of people in an extra high time of, of, of having babies, the baby boom, and you are hitting about, it's a little bit more, of the population that was just decimated during World War II. So Russia is freaking out. It is really hurt and it is angry about all these wars. So it started cheating. Yeah. It, <laughs> it, and like we said earlier, there's so much to talk about. There's the, so the much Russian, to talk the, about. You know, World War II is huge and what happened to the Russians was, was tragic. It I was mean, awful. The, Horrible. The, the German assault into Russia, they took like 3.8 million troops into Russia pushed all the way to Moscow. Yeah, and they didn't, they weren't following any of the rules of world war that were set up. People are dying left and right and up and down, and it was horrible. Yeah, there, there's a lot on, you know, the, the people in the, you know, the Russian people in Moscow that, that survived the war are some of the hardiest people yeah. known to man. Like, it, it was insane. It was so cold that the, oh, yeah. the river by lost. Moscow froze over. I mean, that's how Germany lost, is because yeah. it couldn't handle how cold it Germany was. Germany rolled over Russia until the winter. And mm-hmm. in the winter of, I think it was 41, the the German you know tanks, they couldn't function well in the cold. Mm-hmm. They didn't have the supplies they needed. And the, the Russian, you know, they were both starving at that point. Yeah. It, it, it was, really is an, it an amazing crazy. story. And we could also go off on that forever. Yeah. <laughs> like every single one of these, every single bullet point that we touch on today. I mean, if we did a podcast only about the Cold War, we would have enough content for the rest of our lives. Yeah. There is so much stuff here. 
And every piece has a thousand pieces that branch off of it. Like it is so much stuff. So to yes. go through this, it feels like you're talking at like 500 times the speed you're supposed to, and you're still not going to get get it in. Yeah, there's there's really a lot. So to, to move on, though, what ends up happening is after they kind of divvy up, you know, Germany at the Potsdam Conference, the the war kind of ends, you know, the at, at that point, Germany had already been defeated, Japan gets defeated, the war is over, and then you kind of move into the Cold War aspect. So the Cold War is where they're not necessarily fighting. Right. Yeah, you want to... And this surprised me because I was alive for part of the Cold War, you know, the very at the end yeah. of it. And so I am like, I felt like I kind of understood. I, I had no clue what this was. And I feel kind of like as the generations who are alive during that time die off, we're going to lose our ability to wrap our heads around how gigantic this situation was. Because you had the Greek Civil War. This is like the beginning of when everything starts to go bad. They start having a civil war during World War II, and then they kind of stop. And then they bring it back up again in 1946 to 1949. And during this time, the communists are trying to take over Greece. And we've just had a war in which we're allies with the Soviet Union. And the Soviet Union has been um, having good diplomatic relations with Greece since 18, what was it, 1828. And then all of a sudden, because they're communists and they like that communism is coming in, and I, I think America's done this democratically, yeah. but they take the communist side and start helping in assist attacking the Greek government which makes America and the United Kingdom upset. And so then we have March 12th, 1947. And when you look in America's um, history books, that is the beginning of the Cold War. And it is when President Truman appears before the Houses of Congress and just requests $400 million. They haven't even given it to him. They don't give it to him for another two months. He just requests economic aid to Greece and Turkey, which were fighting communist challenges. And once that happened, that clicked us into the beginning. And it's not a click, obviously. It's something they look back on. Into the beginning of the Cold War because that made the Soviet Union very angry. Yeah, and keep in mind the U.S. was pretty angry. But I want to go back to some stuff that happened in 1946. So there were kind of three speeches or documents that came out. So one is Stalin gave a speech. He was elected as the Supreme Soviet <laughs> yes. in the USSR. Kind of kind of like their current guy right now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. He was elected similar to how I think Putin is elected. <laughs> and so he gives a speech and he basically says, you know, capitalism causes wars. Like it, it can't not cause wars. The nature of capitalism requires them to go out and take other people's territory and to mm -hmm. do all this and the way we're going to beat that is we're going to build up our military and we're going to have take this everybody's huge... territories and it, we're going to have war <laughs> that's the exact thing that happens uh -huh. it, and it's really interesting the response to that from the american side one of the uh, um, emissaries in ussr sends a telegram it's called the long telegram and it really is really long you know it's coming over probably in morse code but uh <laughs> it comes over and he basically says 
you know, the, the Soviets are, you know, intent on going out and mm-hmm. spreading communism, but they're, we're more powerful than them, and they will back down, essentially. If you have a strong political or military force, they will back down. And that becomes, that kind of sets the tone for the way the U.S. tries to handle things, is he, he advises a long-term, patient but firm and vigilant containment. So he says, hey, this is the way we're going to fight, you know, the communists. And, and they kind of use some of that doctrine as they go on. But then the other thing that happens in, you know, these all happen early 1946. Churchill gives his Iron Curtain speech. Yes. And which, he, let me quick and say, the buffer zone that I spoke of, where where Russia is coming in and replacing these fair and free elections that were supposed to have happened at the Yalta conference, right? Yeah. This is what he's talking about during this speech is he's seeing that Russia is coming in and making these countries have communist leaders, whether by accidentally disappearing all the people who were running against these people (laughs) or, you know, other, other means. Yeah. So that's what's happening in a lot of these, uh, East, European countries is they were promised free elections and the the Soviets essentially say, oh, they're having elections, but the Soviets are using military force and other means to get rid of anybody who opposes them. And and I could not tell why the Cold War started. And now I know that it is because of the communist slash democracy Fight. fight, yeah. <laughs> Essentially, I'm the action it's with an my ideological hands. battle of who's going to yeah, they broke, take over the world they in, broke in the some treaties. manner. They they totally went in and did their own thing. They did everything they were told they weren't going to do. And it's funny because corresponding at the same time, George Orwell wrote 1984 during this time where we are flipping from being allies to Russia and. And that was a kind of a theme in his book where he's like, oh, well, who are we siding with now? Oh, we're not siding with them. Who are we siding with now? Oh, these guys. Like, Just a fun a fact on, on that book is it was banned in Russia and it was banned in the U.S. <laughs> oh, no. Both because it, <laughs> it, it was. It both ways. Yeah, because it, it's not an anti-communist or an anti, it's anti-authoritarian. I can see that. And, and that's what people don't necessarily and understand. And now it, we do have videos taken from our televisions and we could go on a totally another one for that (laughs) but the last thing that churchill kind of goes on in his iron curtain speech is he basically says i tried to warn everybody when germany was doing this and now i'm telling you soviets are doing this they're going out they're taking over you know other countries nobody listened when i said you know germany's doing this and we had a crazy war so listen up folks and that was I think that also set a lot of people's minds of this is bigger than just, you know, Greece and Turkey. You know, this and is big. it was big. It was big. Because I didn't realize just how many things were because of this. I didn't. If you look at that buffer zone around the U- the USSR, it is gigantic. Yeah. You have so many countries who are, who have been placed under Hungary, Romania, Poland. Oh, yeah. You've got Belarus, Ukraine, Kazakhstan, Uzbekistan, Tur- Turkmenistan, uh, Azerbaijan, Georgia, Armenia. 
like there's so many countries yep, there's... that they had influence in that they changed their entire governments just so that they would have a buffer between them and countries that hated them. And and then they expanded even farther. And that is how you get to um, one of the, the things was the Chinese Civil War. Is they're, they're starting to have issues about communism in China. And so... Russia's like absolutely will help you, which is so funny because yep. America does this in democracy. Like, it's it's like, whoa! <laughs> like, it's one of the things so that I wish big. I understood better because I, I really am of the opinion that the U.S. shouldn't be pushing ideologies on other countries. You know, even if it's democracy and freedom and whatever. Like, I I understand that's what we want and that's what we think is best, but I also just kind of think you know. Well, By going what, out, like, how yeah. are we different than we different the communists? Than Stalin. You know, if, if we're saying it's terrible for the communists to go out and do this, because what happened in... Well, and that is what he said in the Truman Doctrine, is he said, hey, if you want to tell people to be communists, go ahead. You don't get to do it with military. Yeah. You, you, can, you can do this in another way. You don't get to do it with military. And that was a big... Um, yeah, so one of the quotes from the Truman Doctrine when he put it out there is he basically says, Our policy is directed not against any country or doctrine, but against hunger, poverty, desperation, and chaos. Its purpose should be the revival of working economy in the world so as to permit the emergence of political and social conditions in which free institutions can exist. That was the text. And what he's trying to do is say, you know, that we don't want to rule by, you know, military, you know, and and they used the Truman Doctrine and later the Marshall Plan, which was something similar. So the Truman Doctrine was specifically directed, I think, for Greece and Turkey because mm-hmm. they were directly under attack. And then the Marshall Plan was, this is bigger than Greece and Turkey. Yeah, when they're seeing all that padding go up yeah. around the so USSR. The, the Marshall Plan was something yeah. similar, only it, it was bigger in scope. It was $13 billion in 1948 dollars. Which is huge. At, which huge. is probably hundreds of billions Mm-hmm. Uh, of dollars, and they're pumping that into Europe to help them rebuild their economy. Because the general thought is, if the countries are doing good, they're not going to turn, you know, they're not to communism. So they're not going to be. Mm-hmm. So, so that was the idea with the the Truman Doctrine and the Marshall Plan was to fight it economically. So they they but start. The Soviet Union is mad. The Soviet Union is mad, but they're not the only ones mad because. Also, a thing that happened in 1946 was something called the Iranian con- crisis. Is the, uh, Iran was supposed to be independent, and the um, it, it was used during World War II, and, and it was actually used to, to su- get supplies up to Russia. So they used it as a landing port for their lend-lease program with Russia, which the U.S. pumped. In, in today's dollars, $180 billion into wow. Russia to help them fight against the Germans. So they were using Iran, and after the war, they said, all right, everybody, you know, pack up and leave. You know, Iran, is, you know, we're not occupying Iran anymore, and the USSR wouldn't leave. Yeah. And so they said, hey, you know, you're not letting these countries have free elections. You're using your military to take over, you know, other countries, the U.S. is pretty upset, thinking the USSR is violating, the you know, treaty. not just the treaty, but just the general idea of you know freedom and 
mm-hmm. you know, whatever, which is what kind of leads which is into... Which kind of what they were fighting for. Like, they're fighting for, for people, and now these people are oppressing other people, and it was a yeah. big deal. So both sides are kind of mad at what the other side's doing. So one of the things that happened because of that is, you know, Berlin is located in East Germany, and the Soviets block off all access. They yeah. just say, yeah, you can't, you know, can't take roads in, you can't take rails, you can't take, you know, the river, you can't come in to supply it. And they intended essentially to kind of take Berlin that way. And the response was what was called the Berlin Airlift. Mm-hmm. And over the course of probably a year. twenty four days. Well, over the course of, I, I think it lasted a lot longer overall, but they made 189,000 flights to, to bring goods into yeah. thousands and thousands West of Ger- pounds or of West goods Berlin. every day. Yeah, it was, it was really just like plane insane. after plane after plane after plane. And they would just bring it in because they didn't want to start a war over Berlin. Yeah. Because the USSR had already shown that it was willing to be aggressive. And they didn't want to go back into that. We've only been out of war for like what three years like they didn't want to start stuff up especially with someone who'd been on your side yeah so they just went around it <laughs> and, and so they ended up um the the ussr kind of backed down and reopened access to west berlin right so the but berlin this Air... is where they're like okay you have now violated everything yeah and so they're now on on guard against the Soviet Union. And so they start NATO, which is the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, in April 4th of 1949 in Washington, D.C. And at the time, there were 12 founding countries. It was Belgium, Canada, Denmark, France, Iceland, Italy, Luxembourg, and the Netherlands, Norway, Portugal, the United Kingdom, and the United States. And now, currently, there are 30 members of NATO with just the hint of asking Ukraine to join got them invaded. Yeah, <laughs> so, it... so Russia still has some, some feelings. I'm sure there are lots of layers to this, by the way. That's, that's a very oversimplification. But, um... And one of the big things with NATO, and this is brought up, you know, they talk about this now because there's stuff going on, is there's the Article 5 in the NATO pact says if any of our countries are attacked, we all band together. Yes. So, it, you know, if one of the countries attacks somebody else, that doesn't trigger anything. But if any of the countries are attacked, then it requires every country involved in NATO to, to respond. Forces. And, and, and that respond. was that was huge. And, mm-hmm. you know, ultimately it will end up having, you know, Russia will do its own, or the Soviets, I guess, will have their own thing, which they do a couple of years later called the Warsaw Pact. But mm-hmm. before that happens, there's a few things that start, ha- you know, you got the Chinese Communist Party ends mm-hmm. up taking control of China. For the Civil War, yeah. And then the there's a... Uh, Sino-Soviet Treaty of Friendship, where the Soviets do their kind of Truman Doctrine thing to China, and they pledge $300 million to China and promise to be friends, you know, for however long. And in a, in addition to that, you start having other conflicts happen. You got uh, the Russians detonated their first nuclear bomb in 1949, 
So oh, yeah, before the that, the, the U.S. was the only one who had nuclear yep. power, and it gave them, you know, kind of a bargaining chip. It's, they always felt like they can kind of demand oh, yeah. certain things, and all of a sudden, the you know, Russia's got the equivalent uh, power. power. Mm-hmm. And so the, the balance of power starts becoming more even. And they have mutually assured destruction. Yeah, mutually assured Where they know destruction. That if, you, if you bomb them, they will bomb you, and everyone's bombed. Yep. And it actually increases as time goes on because they move from nuclear warheads to hydrogen warheads as time goes on, and holy yeah. cow. And we'll get into that because yeah. I just wanted, I just, I've got a little bit on the the SAR bomb, the, the oh my hydrogen bomb. It I looked at it yesterday with my kids. Amazing. Because my, my third grader comes home and he's like, mom, what's the biggest bomb? And I'm like, I don't know. And he's like, it's Sar-bomba. the SAR bomb. And I'm like, why does my third grader know this? So we looked up like the different explosives, yeah. explosivities of, of the different bombs. And then they show, because I guess. This is a side note, which we don't have time for. But Russia showed a video in 1961. So this is in the 60s. And of the explosion and of the mushroom cloud that occurred with this bomb. And I have to tell you, it is breathtaking in the most terrifying way. Just watching the video of this explosion in the middle of nowhere is like, oh my gosh, we're dead. Here's some fun facts about that. Okay, let's hear some fun facts. (laughs) Since we're jumping to the 60s yeah. all of a sudden. We'll get back to where we were. <laughs> we'll go back to the 50s in th- a minute. This was really interesting. <laughs> that Tsar Bomba, it had the capability of being 100 megatons. And they limited it. When when it went off, It was I think they limited it to like a 50 megaton. And when I say megatons, that means they, they measure it in the amount of TNT. Yeah. So if you would have to have 50 million tons of TNT. Oh it was, to I'm still kind of chills bomb. about it. So to give you some perspective, uh, the Fat Man nuclear weapon that was used against Japan. The largest nuclear weapon used up until that point, though there is another one called something else that I forget. The the one used against Japan, the first one, was 21 kilotons, Ah, 21,000. Thousand. And we're talking. If you you took every bomb detonated (sighs) in World War II, every single one, it wasn't as big as our bomb. It wasn't as big. No. People it, got third degree burns from a hundred kilometers away. Oh yeah, they're talking like you're. I think I can't even remember the miles. I wish I had the accurate number, but like twenty five, maybe even forty miles. Whatever it was, it was. I just sort of was like, because ah, I'd heard of it, but of course I'm not putting it in any context, and I don't know. But I imagine skipping ahead to those sixties, people were probably so terrified. Yeah, but. Let's reverse back to the 50s because we're entering the 50s now and there is a critical thing that is happening in the 50s that I didn't even know was associated with the Cold War. I thought it just sort of coincided with the Cold War. I did not realize it was part of the whole problem. You have Korea, which was separated into two pieces after World War II. So then you have the communist North and you have the Democratic South. Yeah, so what happened is in 1950, 
the North invades the South with the intent of taking over the South. And the South ends up kind of retreating back and calls for the U.S. to help. So the U.S. responds and brings troops. They get pushed back pretty much to uh, like one city at one point. They're pushed back. And And it was horrible. And and what the U.S. did was came in and basically they, they bombed them. Oh, yeah, that's oblivion. right. I was thinking of Vietnam in my brain. Uh, well, right. the, Korea, yes. So in the Korean War, the U.S. came in. They, they essentially bombed the the armies back. They just dropped carpet bombs and kind of took over. But this was a three-year mm-hmm. war, and it basically ended right where it started. Right. They just said, all right, we'll they keep this line. line. They have the demilitarized zone. Yeah. Which is funny because it has the military in it. <laughs> but they're both right next to each other. They have North Korea, South Korea. And my favorite bad taste reference is when Kamala went to visit. Kamala Harris, Vice President of the United States. And she's like, I think I could see it. And the guy's like, it's 15 meters away. <laughs> <laughs> and she's like, oh. <laughs> that was my favorite. I was like, everybody knows. And you can go visit the border. And you can stand in a room that crosses the border, and you can technically stand in that room over to North Korea's side and visit North Korea. Oh. they don't allow Americans. That might be the only way yeah, you want to visit North Korea. It is the only way. And during the Korean War, by the way, Greece sent troops to help South Korea, even though they had just finished their civil war. I thought that was an interesting fact. Yeah, that is interesting. Because it really was. It was a the UN. Yes. When in, this was not this just was, the U.S. The UN yes. went into... North Korea in response mm -hmm. to the USSR and the USSR was boycotting the UN at the time and so the UN went in it was you know 90% US forces but it was a UN sponsored war with all the you know force that that meant so so that was happening 1950 to 1953 one of the things that happened in 52 was the US came out with US had its first hydrogen bomb so again, the U.S. Oh, gets kind mm-hmm. of an arms advantage. The other thing that happened in 1953 was that Stalin died. Oh, that's right. So Stalin was um, very heavy-handed leader, and mm-hmm. and he the way that he ran things, you know, you might call it a tight ship, but it was the most authoritarian government I think the world may have ever known. Like At he, that point, he didn't allow it. You know, you weren't allowed to badmouth. You know, the Soviet Union weren't allowed to talk, you know, freely. They had laws in place, like neighbors would were encouraged to tattle on their neighbor if their Parents neighbor said tattle anything. tattle on their children. It, it was insane. Yeah, it was. It, it, it's really just hard to understand. And, and there was, was a period where there were several people kind of vying for control. And in 1956... Um, well, I think it might 54. have been 55 when it was Khrushchev. 54 when Nikita Khrushchev and, came into power. Yeah, in, he in 56 in he gave a speech. It was called the secret speech where mm-hmm. he denounced Stalin. And it was a huge deal. Oh, yeah. It was a huge deal because nobody did that. Stalin was kind of like Kim Jong in North Korea. Yeah. Is You don't say bad things about Stalin. You don't say anything bad. And he went in, in secret, which in secret meant in front of all the other communist leaders, he went and said, you know, he was a coward oh. and a stupid military strategist. And, you know, he rewrote books to glorify himself. And he was saying all these things about 
how terrible Stalin was, and that kind of had an effect on the world. Like like people in when he did that in 1956, all of a sudden you have these corresponding uprisings against communism that happen. So Poland has an uprising, and Hungary has one, and Hungary's was pretty yeah. big. Like, Hungary had enough of an uprising where they said, we don't want communism, that the Russian or the Soviets sent in like 17 divisions. They already had five stations there. They sent in 17 mm-hmm. divisions of troops. They sent tanks in, and the you know U.S. wanted to go to the U.N. and say, you got to do something. But there was a simultaneous conflict that was happening over in Egypt uh-huh. where the Suez Canal crisis. Yeah. And the Suez Canal crisis was Egypt basically decided, hey, we're taking back control of the Suez Canal. Which and previously, it was originally, oh, sorry, oh, go ahead. It was previously owned by a corporation that was, I think, French and UK owned. Yes. And Egypt says, yeah, we're, we're taking this back. This is the national, you know, this belongs to Egypt now. And it became a, a huge deal. So Israel actually started the invasion because Egypt was also blockading um, a, a bay, you know, a, a, essentially a water route up by the Suez Canal that actually goes up and could supply Israel. They've been blockading it for years. So Israel goes in and uh, British and French troops go with them. Right, because they're on the side of trying to keep they want the Suez, Canal. the Suez Canal. And so, but the Soviets take the side of the Egyptians. Yep. And there we are fighting against each other, as in like allies. And, and honestly, the Again. Soviets wanted peace. The Soviets and the U.S. were saying, quit fighting in Egypt. They were trying to get peace. It's true. I do think they more so. But they were, they were on their side they were and they were supplying them. The and, uh, but they, were, they weren't, I, I don't think they you know, boots on, boots the, on ground, the ground. I think you're right. I think you're right. I think they just threatened and threw their their verbal support behind the Egyptians, which was yeah. by this time everybody knows. But still, in my mind, I don't know why that seems such a surprise when you have like these past friendships. I don't. I don't know. It, 1984. And and friendships might not be the right it word, but yeah, they they had previously <laughs> been friendly to each other. Yes. So Hungary is trying to get out of this communist, you know, control and kind of revolts, and the Soviets send in troops and put it down. U.S. wants the U.N. to go in, but they say we can't. You know, with what's going on in Egypt, how are we supposed to say it's not okay for the Russians to you know be doing this when? Our allies, you know, the British and French are doing it in Egypt. So they are unable to prevent the Soviets from putting the, you know, we'll say rebellion down. You know, several thousand people died. 200,000 Hungarians fled the country to, you know, essentially save themselves because they know anybody who stood up to the USSR is not safe anymore. And one of the things that I like is it started on like October 23rd that's now a a holiday in Hungary is they they celebrate these people who are trying to get them out of communism mm-hmm. so it yeah. i just thought that was interesting but Poland had its own thing going on and i think well, they and had well Vietnam has something going on as well Vietnam's Vietnam going on starting for a long in 1955 time too. that's yeah. when it's starting to to have trouble 
and, so, and at the time, I think that's mostly France. Mm. So it, there's the Indochina War, I think is what it was called, but it was France who, at one time, that was a colony of France. So yes. France kind of was the one fighting that war until the 60s. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but the U.S. was stationed there, and the U.S. had people there since the 50s. Yeah, well, the whole thing lasted like 20 years. Yeah. Like, it was a really long time, but there's still, you know, such discord and yuck. Yeah, and and there's a lot of other things that kind of have in the 50s, you know, the, the space race starts. And... Well, you have the invasion of Afghanistan yeah. and the Cuban Revolution, which is kind of huge <laughs> yeah the cuban revolution so we'll skip some of the stuff space race was happened you know happened but let's go into the cuban revolution because okay. that kind of pulls things over into the, the western United hemisphere States, yeah. mm-hmm. and for for me one of the things that i kind of found interesting the, the ussr didn't help the cuban revolution the cuban revolution happened without yes. the aid of ussr oh they didn't it was at, yes <laughs> so I have so many thoughts in my head, I can't even get them in the right order. Go on. So to kind of go back to what happened with the Cuban Revolution, and and this happened, I think, in 1959. It was. January 1st. Prior to the Cuban Revolution, I think in in 1952, there was kind of a a military coup where a former president, uh, Fulgencio Batista, Batista, he he basically had staged a military coup. He was running for president and wasn't going to win, so he staged a coup. He killed, uh, you know, over the course of you know after he had the coup, he took out like twenty thousand rivals, Whoa. so that he had nobody, and he ran a corrupt government, like extremely corrupt. Whoa. It was really bad, and also one of the things that happened to that is he kind of opened it up to the U.S. and the U.S. interest companies, you know, whatever came in yeah. and. Well, did you know owned that most the, un- of the United Cuban... States was in charge of Cuba after the Spanish-American War yeah. for years and years for and years. years and years? And then they, in 1909, they allowed Cuba to have start having their own elections and have their own government. Yep. And so they were, by the time this is happening, that's only like 50 years. I mean, not 50. By the time this guy comes in and opens it up, it's only been like 40 years. So the relationship was still quite open at that time. But Castro, Fidel, he he's not a big fan of any of yeah, this. Yeah, so Fidel Castro leads a, a group of rebels who are really socialists, but it, they're not tied to any, you know, like the most of the communists are tied to the Communist Party, essentially, in the USSR. Yeah. These are just independent It's essentially rebels. what you make up when you think the idea is good and you make up your own thing. Yeah, and, mm-hmm. and basically he's saying, like, the corruption is terrible. Like, there's this, this is a terrible government, and we need to do something. So he leads a revolt and essentially takes control of Cuba militarily in 1959. Right. And, and the United States doesn't love this because it affects their interests. Yeah. Not initially. So several things kind of happened is he he starts taking some of the businesses. Yes. You know, and saying... Because they're because they're US they're owned. socialists. Yeah. And so they're just taking over and and everything becomes national. <laughs> so all of these United States com- companies are like uh this isn't how it works. Yep. And the Castro's like yeah it is. <laughs> so so the US decides to have, 
you know, hey, we're, we're going to start, you know, we're, we're going to put embargoes up. We're not sending you any oil. So then Fidel Castro goes to USSR. The Soviet get oil. Union. Yes. But all the oil refineries are owned by the U.S. Turning point for the Soviet Union. Yeah. Because, again, this is in the Western Hemisphere. This is yep. really close to the U.S. And they had no, had no nothing access. over in the Western and Hemisphere this until point. this. Uh, although, keep in mind, at the time, like, there's still, the, the initial reaction from Khrushchev is he didn't, he had no idea who Castro was, and yep. he thought it might be a CIA plot. Oh, he thought this funny. might be, they're faking them. <laughs> and so it took several interactions, you know, probably a year or so before there was that relationship. But... Uh, once the U.S. decides to stop sending oil, Cuba gets it from the USSR and takes all the oil refineries that the U.S. owned yeah. in Cuba and nationalizes those. So the U.S. you know, has another embargo. It says, all right, then you can't, you know, we're not sending anything aside from, you know, maybe necessary food items sort of thing. So, so that's happening. That happens in 1960 and supposedly there were plans in 1960 from the CIA to help overthrow Castro. Oh, absolutely. And and that kind of goes they... into effect <laughs> later. So very poorly they make it very poorly in the Bay of April, Pigs 1961 JFK tries to overthrow Castro and does a terrible job at it. Yeah, did, and there's some not fun stuff with it that uh, is amusing. So the plan was, they what they did is they went and recruited a bunch of Cuban exiles. So these were people who were, so, so Castro kind of did almost the same thing that Batista did, and anybody who's in opposition is not welcome anymore. So they had all these exiles that, that left that don't, you know, they don't want to be under Castro. So the U.S. starts recruiting these people. A lot of them are military, and the ones that aren't, they, the U.S. actually starts training them. They send them, I think, to like Guatemala and start training them. So the plan was to fake like this was all Cuba. The U.S. had no involvement. So they take some of their military planes and they paint them <laughs> with with the Cuban symbols and stuff. And they go in, and on April 15th, they go in and bomb some strategic targets in Cuba with these painted planes. The problem is people take pictures of the planes and they can identify them as American planes. Mm -hmm. So then JFK kind of pulls back because the plan was supposed to be on April 17th that they launched these 1,500 Cuban exile, you know, military force into the Bay of Pigs, you know, area to, to have this assault. There was supposed to be additional air support. And JFK called it back because he knew, you know, the whole world knows it's us. Like, if we do this, that you know, we can't hide because the plan was, oh, this is all Cuba. So he pulls back the air support. They don't get the air support they were expecting. Castro actually knows all of this is coming because the Cuban exiles talk to other People. Cubans in Miami. Yeah. And they let Castro know, so he knows, and he's got people waiting there. They shoot down, you know, the transport ships, they do all this, and two days later, the invasion, you know, I think 1,200 surrendered and the rest were dead. Mm -hmm. Like, it, it didn't last any more than two days before it was, you know, shut down. <laughs> but yes. that whole event 
was kind of a precursor to one of the biggest events in the Cold War. Yes. Actually, so it's kind of hard to know when everything started, but after the Bay of Pigs, it definitely ramped up because the Soviet Union has taken advantage of the fact that Cuba wants to be friends. And so they've said, okay, Cuba, why don't you keep some of our missiles here? And Cuba's like, okay. Because it's in Cuba's best interest to have a gigantic arsenal of missiles against the United States because they just tried to attack them. Yeah. So they're like, oh, for sure, bring over these missiles. So Russia has nuclear warheads aimed, I mean the Soviet Union, aimed at the United States now. In Cuba, they're set up, they're ready to go, and... So, so what happened is the... The U.S. kind of noticed a lot of Russian activity, and they had their spy planes, and they ended up capturing a picture of the of the missile sites, mm-hmm. the, the silos that were being built. And so that, I think they got the pictures on, like, April 14th. So they kind of knew something was fishy, but on, uh, or sorry, October 14th of 1962, uh-huh. they got their proof. And for... A couple weeks. This was like the most it was thirteen days. Tense. Thirteen days. This was where we are on the brink. They call it like right next to midnight. What do they call it? Now I forget. A minute to midnight. A minute to midnight, and <laughs> they are. JFK puts up a quarantine for the ships because a blockade of Russian Soviet, sorry, Soviet ships would be an act of war. So he's like, "Oh, we just need to quarantine you." And make sure that everything's okay. And he made it clear. He got up in a speech and said that any missile attack would be responded to very heavily. And it made Khrushchev mad. Yeah, so it really was. He he made the speech to the American people and said, this is it, guys. You know, like, oh, yeah. We're, you got to be ready. And Khrushchev responded saying essentially, without saying it, yep, this is it. Like, yep, we will, we will do this. Like, they were both threatening each other in a very public and and serious matter-of-fact way. And... Yeah, so as part of the... This is kind of a fun story. Fun isn't the right word. No. It, it's fun from our perspective. Like it would terrifying. have been terrifying mm-hmm. at the time. So they got that. The, the U.S. puts the naval blockade around Cuba, and Russia is sending... It was a their quarantine. Navy. It was yeah. It, it's a, it's a blockade, <laughs> and, and they even say like in in his speech he says all ships of any kind bound for Cuba from whatever nation or port, if found to contain cargoes of offensive weapons, will be turned back. They say we're going to search yeah, everything, which is funny because it's already there. Like it's already in Cuba. It's already set yeah. up. It's already there. They know that they're already trained on the United States, and part of that is because Khrushchev sort of implies it in one of his things he's like absolutely (laughs) yeah so the u.s says hey we're searching every ship that comes in Mm -hmm. the russian or the soviets send their ships and there for for years there there was a standoff sort of thing that happened that that nobody knew about yeah i don't know it it was i think it was what i saw was made public in 1997 Mm. is this turkey are you referring to turkey no i'm referring to the submarine incident yes oh but before we hit the submarine incident let us remind ourselves that 
This is the very first time that the United States reaches DEFCON 2. And it is the only time in history that the United States has reached DEFCON 2. And if you hit DEFCON 1, you are in a nuclear war. So this is like tensions are super, 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 super high. And these following things happen right before the United States decides it's just going to invade Cuba. So go ahead and tell the story. I'll start off by saying a spy plane of the United States flies over Cuba. Cuba shoots it down, which is, you know, everyone's heartbeats like stopping. And then this is what happens under the water. So oh my word. <laughs> the, the story, and, and keep in mind that this is told by the USSR uh, submarine brigade chief of staff. Is yes. He says he's on the submarine, and they're on their way to Cuba. Mm-hmm. This is in 1962. They're on their way to Cuba, and the submarine has to uh, come up to the surface to recharge its batteries. But it, this has been verified. Because what happened is the United States knew the submarine was there. Yeah. Dropped something down to be, that's supposed to say, come up, we know you're here, come up. And. So the USSR didn't get that, or, or the captain didn't. The captain goes up, he didn't get anything indicated. Oh, he when he goes up, what he sees is they're dropping depth charges. Yes. They're shooting at him, which mm-hmm. I think they were firing warning shots. Yeah. He's, he thinks. They're attacking him. So he says, arm torpedo number one, which, which is their nuclear, nuclear weapon. Oh, my word, you guys. And he's, But he's up in what's called the conning tower, and he's not talking to anyone. He's saying he's, not, he doesn't, he's not actually getting the meth. So he starts running down the conning tower so that he can get the order out, and he gets intercepted by this brigade chief of staff who says, they're not firing at us. They're not firing at us. This is they're they're signaling to us. They want to you know talk or whatever because they also had loudspeakers and they were blasting at the loudspeakers. Yeah. Turn off your engines, Whoa. you know, sort of thing. So he convinces the captain this isn't an attack. The captain. I didn't know this many details. Yeah, they, they, <laughs> and it, so the, supposedly this is the inspiration for the movie The Crimson Tide, which uh-huh. was a a U.S. You know, similar situation where somebody gives the order to shoot the nuclear weapons and the uh, uh, assistant, you know, whoever, whoever is second in command who's supposed to give the okay, like, won't give it. You know, he says, hey, we got... So in this scenario, the chief of staff says, hey, stop it, stop it, don't create the nuclear war. But they were literally, you know, minutes, seconds, who knows, from launching yeah. this nuclear you weapon. you can't come back from that. Yeah. Like, that, where would we be had that continued down? Had had two or three people freaked out? Like, where would... This is just kind of incredible to think about, especially after watching that YouTube video of the hydrogen bomb. Yeah. It's like, there would be nothing left. And this is this is a year after Sarbamba went off. Yeah. So everybody knows everybody what knows. their capabilities are. Mm-hmm. I mean, they don't know what's on the submarine, but because they know. But anyway, it got talked down. Yeah. Turns out they, you know, I don't know. I don't think they really talked it out, but the USSR submarine turned around, headed back to the Soviet Union, and it was kind of, you know, crisis averted. As far as the Cuban Missile Crisis right. goes, there was an agreement, okay, we'll, we will take our missiles out of Cuba. 
Yes. And it was Robert Kennedy. Did you know this? I didn't know that. It was Robert Kennedy, and he was talking to Antoine, I don't know, (laughs) (laughs) that guy. He's an ambassador from the Soviet Union. Oh, my gosh. I wish I knew how to say people's names so it wasn't offensive to them. But they said, and I was under the impression that the USA said, oh, we'll remove our missiles from Turkey if you take yours out of Cuba. That is not what happened. They convinced them to take them out of Cuba, and then a little while later, they then convinced the United States to take them out of Turkey. And I guess, I guess when he was talking, he's like, "Oh yeah, we we're gonna do that in like six months anyway." So yeah, the thing that I heard is like, yeah, "What we got in Turkey, like it's old, and we don't need it we there don't anyway." Need it. And so it was like, "Uh huh," but whatever it was, that was enough, which is so bizarre to me. After, I mean, just the amount of adrenaline I have in me just talking about the situation, like, I don't even know how they could just be like, okay, yeah. all right. And, and all this That's stuff is, is making the news. I mean, the the submarine incident didn't make the news at the time. As no. far as I know, no, nobody they knew about it until many years, years later. Mm-hmm. But everybody kind of knows what's going on. Yes. And it really is... It, it, and everybody you have no idea. Like I can't news. even imagine what a normal person is thinking when yeah. you know this is this is insane because we got stuff going on in like Ukraine and and we've gone to wars you know with with other countries during my lifetime. But realistically, but there's never been on the soil. threat of yeah. nuclear attack nuclear. against the U.S. Oh, and, and, this and you one, don't know what that means. Yeah, because you know nobody can film it in the way that because your equipment will disintegrate. Nobody can film it in a way that will explain really what happens. I mean, when you look at what happened after Nagasaki and Okinawa, Hiroshima, Hiroshima, thank you. Um, And they walked through later and they video it. They even themselves were like, oh, because they'd only done the tests in empty spaces. They'd never done them in cities. And so they were like, holy cow, like this was way bigger than we knew this was going to be. And to have an even bigger threat looming over with those with hydrogen, hydrogen bombs. bombs. Oh my gosh. <laughs> really, I'm not going to be able to sleep tonight. And it's like 10 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> yeah. And they still have them. Everybody's still got them. Yeah. And they're old. Those Each nuclear warhead is super old now. It's going to be rusty and it's going to leak and stuff. <laughs> I know. Like, I don't know kidding. if we know if we can trust them. <laughs> and, and maybe that's a good thing. But uh, what I kind of think is maybe we should take a break right here and we'll pick up and make a, a second part to this. Deal. Sounds good. We'll, we'll see you at part two. Yeah.